We should be in the book of Jonah at this time. And today, as you know, when we start a new book study, I like to begin by giving you background information. And so for a lot of folks, I understand this may be that, oh, it's the boring history section. And if you're not a history student, you may not really care for this. But guys, let me just tell you, history is what we must know in order to understand the present and, we, and, and to know where we're going in the future. And so uh, not only is this a God-breathed letter to us, it's inspired by the very presence, power, and spirit of God, it's also accurate history. And so we need to understand these things. What we're going to find in the book of Jonah overall is a message of mercy and grace. And in a day and age in which we live, where there seems to be very little of that being offered from one to the other, I think it's a good time for us to rethink who we are in Christ. So we're going to give a little background information. Again, background study on the book of Jonah. And so today as we go through this, uh, we won't find ourselves in, in, in much in the text. But I do want to begin by at least reading the first section here, the first three verses uh, in the book of Jonah. Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah and the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa, found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord." Father, I pray this morning that you will give me recall. I pray that you will fill me with your spirit. Lord, I ask that you would be glorified in all that's done here. And as we begin this book study, Lord, that you will begin to do a work in our heart. Transform us. Change us. Lord, help us to look into the mirror of your word and to see the areas in our own heart and our own life that need confessing, that need changing. And Lord, may we not resist, may we not flee, may we surrender to your will. And we give you the praise in Jesus' name, amen. You know the story, Jonah's a very familiar story, most of you could tell us. I understand the Olympian kids just recently went through it and Larry uh, talked to them about this. And, and so for many of us, it's real easy sometimes when we go through a story that's familiar to just sort of, yeah, 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 I know that, I know that. But I pray we won't do that, guys, because, again, this is the living Word of God. And so I trust that God will use this where we are today to reflect and think and, and respond, uh, heeding the Word of God in the way He would have us heed. So we pick up the story here, and, and, and again, this interesting book because uh, oftentimes, uh, by the way, it's a minor prophet, it's the, and, and by the way, you know the difference, major prophet, minor prophet has nothing to do with status. It's just this is a brief account. It's a brief account from this prophet. And it's unique in this. It's actually a story about the prophet. Most are foretellers and foretellers proclaiming the word of God. But we don't see much in the way of that here. In fact, the sermon that he ends up giving is only about five words. 
Now, I, I, I don't think all of what he preached is recorded, but it's only recorded five words of what he ends up saying to the Ninevites. But I get ahead of myself. Let's back it up. He's been commissioned by God. He's a prophet. He said, go, take this message to that great city, Nineveh. Now, Nineveh is a wicked place, guys. This is the Assyrian capital. This is the capital city of Assyria. These are some brutal butchers, and we'll talk about that as we unpack this book. Jonah wants, no, he, he wants nothing to do with them. Why? We'll find that answer as well. So instead of heeding what God wants him to do, he goes the complete opposite way. In fact, Nineveh is probably about 500 miles east of where he is. He decides to take off west and go 2,500 miles to Tarshish, over towards Spain. He's trying to get as far away from this mission as possible. Now, I know none of you would ever do that. None of you would ever get as far away from what God would have you do in your call, your commission to tell others. But Jonah did. So Jonah finds himself a ship, gets on board, sets sail. Not long into it comes a, not a natural storm, a supernatural storm, a crazy storm. God has brought this storm. Now, Jonah, the prophet's sound asleep down in the ship. God brings a storm to wake him up. Now listen, I can get off on a soapbox here and preach. Are you asleep, Christian? God can bring a storm to wake you up. Well, storm came in Jonah's life, no doubt. Now the pagans he was sailing with... They recognized that something's going on. They were pagans. They worshipped all kinds of different gods. They had enough common sense to understand, hey, some god's angry. Which god is it? They cast lots. Do you know the Bible says even the casting of lots belongs to God? It ends up that the lot falls on Jonah. Jonah, what have you done? What are you doing, man? Tell us what, where are you from? Who are your people? You, who's your god? And Jonah ends up telling him, hey, my god's the god of the land and the sea. Wow, how moronic. So your God's the God of the land and the sea, and you ran from the land and got on the sea. How are you going to get away from the God of the land and the sea? Well, Jonah, again, refusing, not wanting to do what God wanted him to do, he'd rather them throw him overboard and just kill him, be done with it. I'm not taking that. I'm not going to do what God wants me to do. I'd be better off dead. Chuck him overboard. And you even see repentance in those guys. We'll, get, we'll look at that as we unpack the book. Don't let, his, don't let his blood be on us. You've heard of uh, suicide by cop? This was suicide by sailors. I mean, he, he really wanted to die. He was hoping they'd take him out. But guess what? God had a plan. And Jonah wasn't going to thwart it. He wasn't going to escape what God wanted him to do. In fact, he had developed a great fish. Now, again, we like to say Jonah and the whale. Guys, there's no indication it was a whale. Maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. There's a different Hebrew word used for whale in the Bible. This is not the word. I think it was a great fish. It was some prepared fish. It was a old-fashioned first submarine, if you will. God's submarine designed to house Jonah. A great fish swallowed him up. And for three days, three nights, he's kept inside that fish. And guess where that fish swims? In the direction Jonah should have gone in the first place. 
to the point, and how ironic, I'm sure lukewarmness of Jonah's life was enough to sicken the fish, just like the lukewarmness of our life is enough to sicken our God, and he spit him out on dry land. And Jonah ends up taking the message to this wicked city, this great city of Nineveh. And then he goes outside the city and sits on a little side up on a mountaintop and looks down and watches and sees. Maybe, just maybe, maybe they will not truly follow God. Maybe they'll repent of the repentance and, and God will wipe them out. Doesn't happen. Well, meanwhile, it's a hot sunny day and God in His rich mercy and grace has this little seed sprout up into this uh, plant that provides a lot of shade for Jonah. And man, he's loving, he's so, he's, you know, oh, this is so nice from the heat. Well, then God creates a worm, you know this, that eats the plant. And then all of a sudden, he's baking in the sun again, and he's angry at God again. And that's Jonah's last words recorded from him, anger towards God. Yet the last say in the book is God himself, bringing conviction again to Jonah and the reader, is God not to have mercy upon even the little ones? They don't know the right hand from the left one. Even your enemies deserve your mercy. And guys, were we not enemies of God? I'm pretty sure you're grateful for the mercy God has given you. I'm grateful for the mercy God has given me. And I was very much a wicked sinner, an enemy of God. The Bible says to be a friend of the world is to be an enemy of God. Guys, we were all at one time an enemy of God. And this is a great reminder to us. There's a great message in the way of missions. There's a great reminder in who we are, where we are, and also being reminded that we're to love our enemies. And so as we read through this, I pray it will be a mirror to us. Because I see a lot of things going on in our nation today amongst believers. This very Jonah-like. And we've got to ask, honestly, before a holy God, am I seeking to do His will? Or is it my comfort, my will, I'm more concerned with than that of the lost and dying? So, with that said, this may not be a politically correct sermon, but it is God's Word, and I'm unapologetic for it. Let's unpack it. Here's the background. The story of Jonah reveals um, that God is sovereign. He has sovereign rule over man and all creation. Uh, we also find that God is rich in mercy and grace. And then we also see that repentance is required to experience that mercy. Now, let me be real clear on that. Because I understand as I go through this, some of us are going to have selective hearing. And some of us are going to, going to read into this not, what preacher's not saying. Guys, God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. That offers to whosoever will, let them come. But not everyone will come. Therefore, not everyone will experience that mercy and that grace and that forgiveness. And so even when it comes to our enemies, whoever they may be, we can extend mercy and grace, but there is a responsibility upon man to receive that grace. Okay? 
Repentance is required to experience that mercy. We also see that this is a real story about a real person. There are a lot of liberals who want to try to, you know, uh, make it symbolic or, or pour into it, meaning eisegesis instead of exegesis. You know, that means they pour into the text as opposed to taking out of the text. They don't really hold to it being a real account. Guys, it's a real account. This is a real person. This is real history. In fact, as we look at this, we see the book presents itself as an authentic historical narrative. We also find that the ancient Jews regarded it as historical. If you went back in time and, and asked any other uh, good scholarly Jewish man, they, they took this. This was history. It was real history. We also find that uh, this is a real story about a real person. He's present in 2 Kings. This is where he first appears in the Bible. So if you're reading through the Bible, you want to see the first appearance of Jonah. It's in 2 Kings 14.25 as a historical person with a real father from a real place, during a real setting. We also find that Jesus, when he was here in his earthly ministry, he presented Jonah as a real historical person. And in fact, what a powerful statement when he likens his death, burial, and resurrection. You want a sign? This is the only sign you'll be given. Just like Jonah the prophet was in the belly of the fish, three days, three nights, so shall the Son of Man be in the grave. And he'll rise again. He knew him as a real person because he is a real person. Well, how about Jonah the prophet? Let's, let's learn a little bit about Jonah the prophet today. Jonah means dove. Okay? So if he were alive today, he would use probably dove products. Men's dove products. Anyway. Dove, you know what it means? We've got an example in Hosea 7.11. This is a, uh, a simile. Some of you uh, English people know what I'm talking about. Think about this Hosea 7.11 passage. Ephraim is like a dove. Easily deceived and senseless. So I guess you could consider Jonah was a little bit easily deceived and senseless. Because look, the, the Jewish people, the Hebrew people, put a lot of stake in, in, in a name. So this is the meaning behind Jonah's name. And of course the way he's acting, anytime you want to run from God, flee from God, that's, that's pretty senseless. I think that goes without saying. He came from Gath Hefer, that's near Nazareth. Um, again, some, some things that, that we know about Jonah. The Pharisees were wrong when they said, no prophet has arisen out of Galilee. Actually, Jonah was from Galilee. So see, even there, they missed it. Um, interesting. A prophet, he was a prophet to the northern tribes just prior to Amos during the first half of the 8th century, 760 B.C., Jewish tradition says that Jonah was the son of the widow Zarephath. Remember, if you've been reading your quiet times, what are like quiet times? Very interesting. This, this passage, you remember her, her son is dying, he's sick, and Elijah comes in and lays on top of him and, and heals him, uh, brings him back from the dead. Jewish tradition said that boy was Jonah. Now, we've got no way of verifying that, but very interesting nonetheless. Could be, possibly. Jonah, son of Amittai, also, again, as we mentioned, appears in 2 Kings 14, 23 through 25, and it's recording Jonah's prophecy to the Israelite king, Jeroboam, that he'll be victorious in capturing the area from Labo Hamath to the Dead Sea. And although this victory actually was achieved in fulfillment of Jonah's prophecy, let me, let me say this. Let me, well, actually, let me finish reading this out. 
Uh, Amos later confronted the same king, Jeroboam, because the pride and arrogance of Israel in winning this battle rather than giving God the glory for winning the victory would result in that area being lost back. So what am I saying? Uh, Imagine here's the throne and the king's on it. And so you've got Jonah prophesying to Jeroboam, who was a wicked king of Israel. And he no doubt tells him that, hey, you're going to have victory. You're going to take the land from here to here. I'm sure that made the king feel real good about himself. I'm sure that helped his pride a lot. And he was a wicked man. Not long thereafter, you also you have Amos telling the same king, Jeroboam, God's going to wipe you out because of your wickedness, because of your pride, because of the people's response as a result of this victory. Now, isn't that interesting when you see this contrast in in prophecy amongst God's people? And so that was the case. We also know that uh, Jonah there, he prophesied shortly uh, after both Hosea and Amos. The prophecies of Hosea and Amos may explain Jonah's reluctance to preach in Nineveh. Perhaps he feared he would be used to help the enemy that would later destroy his own nation. So again, imagine you've told the king one thing's going to happen, then another man of God tells him almost a complete opposite, and so maybe that's part of what's going on in Jonah's thinking. Man, I don't... Because I, I, we know... Turn over to Jonah 4. I'm, I'm going to give you a, a snap, uh, just a quick preview of how we know why Jonah did not want to go. This we know because thus saith the Lord, this is why Jonah did not want to go to the Ninevites. Notice in chapter 4, verse 1. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he became angry. So he prayed to the Lord and said, Ah! Lord, was not this what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore I fled previously to Tarshish. For I know that you're a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. Therefore now, Lord, please take my life from me, for it's better for me to die than to live. He is so bitter, he's so mad, he did not want to take the gospel to his enemies because they might repent. He knew God loved them. He knew God would show them compassion. And he wanted God to wipe them out. Wow. Wow. Who right now would you just... Man, I wish God would just wipe them out. is it? North Korea? Iran? Russia? Who you want? Who are you just man? Man, I just wish. Maybe Maybe it's the caravan. Oh, no, you didn't. Oh, yes, I did. Well, illegal, you know, it's illegal and breaking the law. We didn't. I understand. I just remind us all, did we not, are we not lawbreakers? I'm a lawbreaker, guys. That's what got me. I'm a lawbreaker. I've offended a holy God, a sovereign God. I have no right to be allowed into his kingdom. I have broken his law. I'm a transgressor. 
But I am grateful God did not give me what I deserved. He gave me grace and He gave me mercy. Now, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. There is a healthy biblical balance. But I'm not so sure we're quite on it yet as the church in America. And so I pray this book will help us move a little more center into God's will in our attitude towards whatever angers us, whatever frustrates us, because is it possible that God might bring repentance? True story. I'm going to tell you this true story. In our previous ministry, found out that we had illegal aliens in our youth group and in our church. In fact, they were serving in a ministry position in our church. I asked Dr. David Jeremiah counsel in a conference. It was actually quite comical because he got up there and he says, uh, it's Q&A section in a room packed full. He says, now, normally I get the same Q&A. He says, a lot of times I get the same questions. So I almost know before I even read these questions what they're going to be. That was his intro. He said, so, you know, a lot of people will say, well, how are you able to answer these questions like that? He said, well, normally it's the same questions everywhere I go. So with that said, let me take this first question. And the first question was mine. And it said, what do you do when somebody's in your church who's in the country illegally and they're in a ministry position? And he goes, well, I, I would eat those words. I've never got a question like this before. Now, you got to realize at that time, this is back in probably two, early 2000s. This is Southern California. I'm sure this is a question that also affected him very much so. And I followed his counsel. My counsel was I went to this family and I shared the love of Christ with them. And I said, guys, I know you're believers because they were born again believers. And they were constantly hiding in the shadows. In fact, the one lady was on her near deathbed, uh, a dying of lupus attack. And her husband would not even come to the hospital because he was fearful that ICE would take him and deport him if he showed up. He thought it was a trap. And he was living in fear and in the shadows. And so we lovingly shared with them they needed to get this right. And this is part of faith, is trusting God that we can never do that which is wrong and expect it to end well. Now the lady survived, and the family's doing well, and my understanding is things have been made right. They are now citizens. Um, they have taken that pursuit. We found ways as a church to connect them with people who could help them get citizenship, who could follow the proper procedures. So don't misunderstand what I'm saying, guys, but there is a healthy balance, and that should be through the love of Christ, through compassion, not condemnation, rock-throwing. Even when Jesus caught the woman in adultery, when she was brought out by the Pharisees, and He knew the law, He personified, He was a fulfillment of, and Jesus Christ would have been very right to pick up a stone and kill her. He would have been just in doing that because that was the requirement. But instead, he gave grace and mercy and then he gave instruction, which I trust she heeded, go and sin no more. Repentance. Repentance must be there in order for mercy to be received. That's our healthy biblical balance. 
So, what about Nineveh? What about this city? What about this, again, capital city, one of the largest cities in existence in Jonah's day, and again, the, the Assyrian people, very wicked people. Nineveh was the capital of Assyria. It's known, it was it's known for its cruelty. It was a historical enemy of Israel and Judah. It was founded by Nimrod, the great-grandson of, of Noah. Now, if you know your history, Nimrod was a great hunter. In fact, I think he was a gigantic dinosaur slayer. I think he took out the biggest of beasts that have ever roamed this earth. And you take out the biggest of beasts, you the man. You the man. He was the BMOC. He was the big man on campus. Nobody wanted to mess with Nimrod. I mean, this guy was a hunter. He was a man's man. And so he took it out. He took him out, man. And so everybody made him their leader. Now, some interesting also things. He was also a mama's boy. And uh, we believe a lot of this uh, kind of, uh, well, I'll save that for another day. Um, a lot of pagan worships and even some under the umbrella of Christianity that elevate motherhood, <laughs> anyway, have been known to have their roots here with Nimrod. But Nimrod also, you know him for building the Tower of Babel, right? He's the leader. He's the man making it happen. This city, Scripture tells us in Genesis 10... 6 through 12, Nimrod was the founder of the city. Interesting. It was destroyed about 150 years after the repentance. So again, Jonah comes in, he preaches the message, they repent, lasted about 150 years. And then Amos' uh, prophecy came fulfilled. They got wiped out. Um, which, by the way, Nahum prophesied that as well. Uh, this is a story about a real God. It's about a great God. God's mentioned 38 times in this, in these four short chapters. And if you eliminated him from the book, the story wouldn't make much sense. And uh, we think, you know, it's, it's, it's the other things. Wearsby said, what is the book of Jonah about? Well, it's not simply about a great fish, mentioned only four times, or a great city, mentioned nine times, or even about a disobedient prophet, mentioned 18 times. No, it's about a great God. That's what this book's about. And so as you read through this, let your focus turn to the greatness of God, who God is in this book. All right, trivia, kids, pay attention. In the movie Jonah, a VeggieTales movie, what was Nineveh's sin? Fish slapping. There's a fish slapper. Yes, fish slapping. That was the sin in, in Jonah's movie. Now, you think, and that's kind of silly, right? Well, some say it was a montage to the old... Um, uh, what was the uh, Holy Grail people, the, the, the group that did it, Monty Python. And that they did a movie or did a scene and this man's slapping another man with fish and so that's why they used this. Well, that may have been what motivated them to use this, but did you know that there's actually a little connection to this story beyond just the great fish? Dagon. You remember his name? Dagon figures into the story of Jonah as well. Although the deity is not mentioned by name in Jonah's book, the Assyrians in Nineveh, to whom Jonah was sent as a missionary, worshipped Dagon and his female counterpart, the fish goddess Nancy. It sounds like I'm saying Nancy with a bad speech impediment. Nancy. Tarshish. This is the way we will be preaching the rest of the sermon. But interesting. I mean, there's Dagon. And to think, Jonah was swallowed by a great fish? Hmm, interesting. 
I mean, I don't know. Is it possible? Here's a man who spent three days, three nights in a fish. All the uh, gastric juices have no doubt discolored this man. He's come into camp and whoa, look at this ghost man. And he's become from a great fish, Dagon maybe. In their mind, again, God gives natural revelation and if they'll just pursue that which they've given, maybe from there, Paul said, hey, let me tell you about the unknown God. Let me tell you who He really is. I don't know, did this play into His message? Perhaps. But no doubt they were pagan. And God chose a great fish to spit the prophet who would bring the true message to these people who were perishing. Jonah was a prophet. Y'all know that song, right, from the VeggieTale movie? Jonah was a prophet. How about this one? Jonah was a racist. What? Oh, that sounds blasphemous, Pastor. Or what about this one? Jonah was a nationalist. Whoa, whoa, wait a minute, Pastor, wait a minute. Guys, read the story. He did not want to take the message to this group of people, this nation. He summed them up. I'm in good company with this, by the way. John Piper, John MacArthur, they, they, they're on page with this one. I don't know how you can read this account and not come away with this thought, if you're being honest. Guys, the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. You're all prejudiced. I don't care what color you are. Every single person is prejudiced. And if you don't believe that, you're deceiving yourself and you're fulfilling Scripture because the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Everybody has a prejudice. The thing is, when we find ourselves in Christ, that's when we're able to lay down that prejudice. That's when we're able to see the truth. That's when we're able to see others with the love of God. That's when we're able to see for the first time in our life that every man and woman is created in the image of God and has value. So we don't look at the color of skin. We don't look at the nationality. That's not our priority. We look at a man and a woman created in the image of God. Was Jonah a nationalist or a racist? Well, let's unpack this because I know that was a little bit of a shock factor to you. So let's unpack it. Did Jonah have a problem with those neighbors? Yes. Did Jonah not want to go where they were? Yes. Did Jonah not want to take a chance of being tortured by angry people? <laughs> yes. Was it because their skin was different? No. So please, do not misunderstand what I've just said. It was not because their skin was different. That's not why. But their nationality, their culture was different. And such was that, that concern in Jonah's mind. He didn't want to take it over there. Was it because they had a different culture? Yes. Does it fall under the American usage of the term racism? No. So again, we must define properly, guys. If we define based upon our understanding today, we're, we're going to not understand this. But again, if you go back into the text, if you go back into the culture, and this is why we study the book, guys. This is why we study, and we've got to understand the culture in the day and age in which it was written. And if you were alive and around, it's no different than the Samaritans. Let's go to Jesus' day. Did the Jews have a, have a problem with Samaritans, the half-breeds? 
Yes, they were racist towards them. And that was wrong. Racism is always wrong, no matter which side of the fence you're on. Prejudice is wrong, even though we all suffer from it, and the only way we're cured by it is in Christ. Listen to what Tim Keller said. I'm a Christian first, and I'm an American second. I'm a Christian first, and I'm white second. If that's not true of you, then you need to read the book of Jonah. So if you're putting your skin tone before whoever you are, red and yellow, black and white, if you're putting reference to that first, then you need to read the book of Jonah. I'm a Christian first. My allegiance to Jesus Christ is far greater than my allegiance to the United States of America. My allegiance to Jesus Christ should be far greater than my allegiance to my skin tone. My allegiance to Jesus Christ is far greater than the culture in which I live. And guys, if you do not agree with that, then the problem's not with this preacher. Your problem is with the goodness of God. Because He's created man in His image. And we need to understand this. Here's some points to consider. Obedience. Some of us, we read through this book, as we study through this book, we're going to be like Jonah. We're going to have a hard time to really, you know, just, I just assume just run to the other side. I just assume get away from this. I just assume get up and leave. Whatever the case, I, I don't want to hear it. I'm going to harden myself. Be careful. Be careful. Lord, help us be obedient to what you want us to do in the day and age and the culture in which we live because we're called to be agents of change, guys. We can set a different tone. The church should be leading the way in a, in a day when there's such confusion, when there's such anger, when we're being pitted against each other in this nation, left side, right side, and we're having this venomous back and forth. It's not about politics. It's about a person, and his name is Jesus Christ, and he's commissioned you to go and take the love of Christ to your enemy. So if your enemy's on the other side of the aisle, Lord, help me be obedient. How can I share the goodness of Christ? How can I continue to reach them with the love of Christ? How can I be salt and light in their world? How can I take the gospel in a real way? Repentance. We also see God's wrath in this. Points to consider dealing with people who are racially and religiously different from us. Guys, we've got to. We've got to. We've got to be better. We've got to be different. We've got to be what God has called us to be. Here's some overview takeaways. A reminder to God's chosen people Israel. In this book, as you read it, you'll see a reminder of God's chosen people Israel that His love was to all nations. The book of Jonah was a reminder to Israel of her missionary purpose. Church, the application to us, we too, as God's chosen people, have a mission to take the gospel to the nations of the world, even to the ones we don't like. even to the ones we don't like.
The book of Jonah demonstrates the sovereignty of God in accomplishing His purposes. Application to the church. Even when man in his weakness and imperfections fail, God is still faithful in accomplishing His purposes. Amen? I am grateful that in spite of me, God still gets glory. The book shows the richness of God's grace and mercy to all. We see the mariners, the sailors, the, the Ninevites, to Jonah. God is rich in mercy to those who call on His name. Application to the church, God is rich in mercy and gives grace to all who call upon His name. Whosoever will, let them come. Let them come. Church, we too have been commissioned. Go therefore, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always even to the end of the age. Amen? Guys, as we go through this book study, I pray that our heart will be rekindled for global missions as well as local missions. And I pray that as you and I read through this book and study this book, that God will expose our own heart's wickedness, our own prejudices, our own failures, and that we would be willing to lay down those hindrances to the gospel, that we would not flee from what the Spirit of God wants to do in us and through us, but that we would heed what the Spirit of God is saying and wants to do in us and through us for the sake of the gospel. Let's pray. Father, uh, I recognize that... Uh, Some radical statements may be shared today and not necessarily tickling of ears. But Lord, that's not what you call me to do. Lord, I pray that you would truly stir our hearts to have a heart and mind of Christ. As was said earlier in the start of worship, let this mind be in you which is in Christ Jesus. And when we think about who Christ is and that how He emptied Himself and came into the world to seek and to save that which was lost. We were lawbreakers. We were enemies. And yet He went out of His way to reach us, to demonstrate love, to the point that while we were still in our sins, Christ gave up His life for us. And Lord, we would not understand that or realize that apart from repentance, apart from faith in Christ alone for our salvation. His death, His burial, His resurrection has made a way for us to be forgiven. And just as Jonah brought the life-saving message, the transforming message that uh, caused a whole city to repent, and no doubt many of them will be in glory because of the saving grace of an amazing God who loves us in spite of us. Lord, I pray that you will stir our hearts to repentance. I pray that you will help us to call upon the only name given 
amongst men under heaven by which to be saved. And that is the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Lord, forgive us when we're anything less than what you've called us to be. By your grace, may you still use us in spite of us. But Lord, help us lay down the baggage that is so often tripping us that we might run this race and run it well. And Father, we'll give you the praise because we ask this in the name that is truly above every name. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. And for his sake we pray. Amen.